Welcome to the Shelf Warmers Podcast, the show about toys, why we like them, and their connection to bigger topics. I'm your co-host Darby, and tonight we're going to talk about Loki episode 4 and 5. And I'm your co-host Sigu. Join us tonight as we embody our own multiverse, and part of us talks about Loki, part of us continues on another path. There we go. All the paths. <laughs> Before we begin, by way of introduction, I'm Darby Harn, a freelance writer and editor and an independent author. Publishers Weekly called my novel Ever the Hero an entertaining debut, which uses superpowers as a metaphor to delve into class politics and an alternate America. You can find more information about me and my books at DarbyHarn.com. I'm also on Twitter at DarbyHarn. And I'm Sugu, your co-host. I work in IT and education, and I'm also passionate about writing and story. You can find some of my travel writings on allaboutjapan.com, where I've written various articles about my life and perspectives in Japan. Tonight, we're going to start talking about Loki's uh, Season 2, Episode 4 and 5, and we'll try, we'll do our best to stay on topic, but long-time listeners will know that ain't a promise. So, Darv, let's... Actually, uh, shouldn't. Let's... <laughs> <laughs> shouldn't even shouldn't even bring it up <laughs> so let's talk about loki episode four and five yeah what are your thoughts the show is great uh episode four best cliff mcu cliffhanger since infinity war wow right would have loved to have seen it on the big screen uh because it's episode four you know it's total bullshit uh which you find out in episode five which again is very good Episode 5 contains some of the best character work for Loki maybe ever. And also one of the best uh, visual... We've talked here and there on the pod as we've talked about the MCU about uh, VFX concerns and, and you know, justifiably um, contains one of the best visual sequences in the recent MCU, which is the scene with Sylvie in the record store and mm-hmm. the disillusion of yeah, everything. Underground. Listen to a Velvet Underground song, which um, is off the first record. Uh, the name is escaping me right now because I'm dealing with a headache. But that song is actually a loop itself. It begins uh, with one way, becomes a song. And it frantic uh, sort of people who are familiar with it. This is Lou Reed and sung by Nico and frantic. And then eventually cycles back to itself, which is, of course, the whole theme to the beginning, which, of course, is it's this whole theme of this show of Loki as a character, of what's happening in this sequence, when then which is just crystallized in the record itself unraveling, which is a marvelous image. And um, so this is also a character moment for Sylvie, which we'll unpack probably as we go. It leads to a major character shift in Sylvie vis-a-vis Loki and, and their respective arcs in the series. I am really loving what's going on. It is pinging off a lot of things for me as uh, as an MCU fan, as a comic book fan, as, as just a writer. Um, there's a couple things that are overlapping in my thinking with, I mentioned before, I think, on maybe I didn't, maybe this was a different conversation. 
but there are conversations about entropy and things like that that are sort of things I, I, I think about in my own writing. You had asked me at one point in one of our conversations about one of my books that might have been A Country of Eternal Light. Like, why do you always have these sort of like apocalyptic, faceless, you know, forces that are that sort of impersonal kind of a thing, which is uh, definitely a feature and not a bug of my writing. But in that scene with Sylvia, I was thinking about it, and I was thinking about a movie called The NeverEnding Story, which people of our generation are probably familiar with. And there's a, a force in that story called The Nothing, which um, people will probably immediately think of when they when they encounter uh, The Never, which is in my story. I'm not going to talk about my stuff today, but I just wanted to say that there was so much radiating out of this episode and things I was thinking about and that I really found great and, you know, um, really rewarding uh, in a lot of different ways. But what do you think? What do you think about all of this? It's kind of funny. Like the initial premise of what you just said, I agree with a lot of it. I just come to the the opposite conclusion. Um, mm. The episode four, I did not like the ending because as you said, since it's a TV show, we already know that there are two episodes going into it. It was all bullshit. We knew it. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, okay, so now we know what the next two episodes are going to be all about. We actually know what the next sequence in the MCU is. Right. And so that means we also know that the previous three episodes of Loki season two didn't mean as much as we thought. It sets up the foundation, but then four, when everything kind of unravels, uh, well, when the time loom explodes, all right, now we know what's going to happen. And it's just, we're, because I'll be honest, I thought Endgame was a bit of a cheat as well when they did the time <laughs> heist, right? I was just like, oh, okay, so this is how we're going to get everyone back. Got it. So then episode five comes in and I think you're right. The character work on Loki and Sylvie is phenomenal. I think that uh, having OB be a science fiction writer who also does his own little snake eating his own tail thing. Uh, I think that's fantastic. Um, I think... OB... Ob is one of the great. I was saying how much how rewarding this is. Ob is a self-published independent author. Yeah. In the 1990s, whose hustle includes selling his own books to himself. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I caught all that. I was like, that is going to be interesting when we get to it. Um, I thought that the work on Mobius and you actually see his jet ski life was was great. Glorious. Um, and that Glorious. Hunter B fifteen is a doctor, like she's a she's a doctor in twenty twelve New York, which is the same New York that Loki attacks. Right. So there's so many like ways to untangle that, but one of the things that that struck to me that came out and really struck me was that makes so much sense why Hunter B fifteen is so dedicated to letting all the branches play out because she was a doctor saving kids lives. That's not a life that you just want to purge. That's not 
a life that you just want like in stranger than fiction the the movie right at the very end when the writer has her moment and she says right i know that this person has to die but here is a person who is voluntarily knowing the cost knowing the end knowing all of that he is voluntarily going to save someone to save a child and to sacrifice himself he's knowingly doing that is that the type of person that we want to kill off or is that actually the type of person that we want to keep right to me that conversation was wrapped up in hunter b15's life like here she is a hunter on the tva but it makes so much sense why she would want to protect everyone's life because that's her life i have so many thoughts coming out of episode five about authorship and that i'm probably not going to be able to avoid entirely on this pod but that were manifested by what you're talking about the fact that ob is an author writing his own story, putting his own story into the store and then writing it into the TVA. Obi also the author of the right. guide also in a snake eating its own tail, apparently by way of Victor timely and part of a loop we haven't seen yet. Um, Loki at the very end, spoilers folks, Loki at the very end. Um, I can change the story. Loki this is what's so great about Loki. Loki, god of mischief, trapped in mythology in this eternal cycle of Ragnarok to be that figure, achieves this thing at the end of episode five. I can, I, I have the, I've, I fucking have control over time and space. Loki, ostensibly, we think at the end of episode five, we should be thinking, can do anything. He could do anything, mm-hmm. right? He's a true god now. He can rewrite history. But that's not that's not what's going to happen. We know what's going to happen. Loki is going to reboot the TVA to create, and actually, he's going to incept the TVA. Mm-hmm. He Loki is the author, and then Loki is actually trapped in the cycle, the Ragnarok cycle, to be only who he can be, which he told us in the first episode because we talked about it last week. He, he he met the man at the end of time and he made sense. This has so many layers to it. It has so many facets to it. It has a real world facet to it because there's an article that came out in Variety this week that has to do with a more sort of Marvel MCU dogpiling that really is about the quandary of Jonathan Majors. We talked about this last week. What do you do with Jonathan Majors, who I will say now almost certainly is not going to continue as Kang, Victor, he who remains... Jonathan Majors, terrific actor. If he is guilty of anything he said, uh, uh, sorry, of anything he did, it's not going, he's it, done. Um, people are like, what are they going to do with Kang? And there's a lot of stuff maybe, which maybe we'll dive into as we go forward here. But like, what are you going to do? And there's a lot of theories. And this article is a lot of speculation, which feels intentional. It feels like an intentional leak. Um the, the answer actually is that is in as we talked about last week on episodes one through three, the the out is already present in Loki and that is Loki because mm-hmm. Loki is becoming the author 
of the TVA and then really our solution to this unfortunate business with Jonathan Majors is simply to have Loki take over this the Kang spot. So I've got uh, I've got a little quibble about that part and then I've mm-hmm. got another thought about it as well, which is that mm-hmm. that first off that thought, which is that Loki, remember uh, 2012 New York felt that he should be king because he is a god among the mortals and now this show is paving the way for that to be reality like it is pretty freaking that could be scary it is Uh, scary it's it's tragic and it but it has it has there's a character arc here yeah now my quibble i'll the part that kind of threw me out of the show all to be honest is he could he just figured out how to control the time slipping that's simple well and somehow the emperor is back he if we look at the series so far he appears to boy here here's some stuff he appears to have been able to subconsciously control it from the beginning mm-hmm. because he his time slips always take him to certain places and more importantly, certain people. Right. And we've already seen closed loops, him pruning himself, him meeting himself, things like that. We've already seen that. And, and when we think about OB spends a little bit of time talking about the physics, <laughs> the physics of time travel in episode five. Um, if Loki is time slipping, his mind, his, his, whatever you want to call it, is existing in time and space in all these different places, which ours does. Our our mind, uh, the quantum physics suggests our mind is existing in several different temporal states at once. It has to to be able to, uh, in to make sense of the world around us. If that's true with let's say that's true of Loki, then the time slipping makes sense and his control of it makes sense because his mind is subconsciously going to places he's already been or will be. And so it's about that mind over matter then. So it's then about exerting control over it. I'm okay with it. Um, They chose not to spend too much time. There was a little bit. There was a one sequence where he's like, you know, (laughs) he's doing he's trying to figure out how to do it. But but then Obi starts talking to him about, well, you know, it's not about. It's not about the when, it's not about the how, it's about the who. And then as Loki starts thinking about that, he starts realizing that scene between him and Sylvie in the bar. You've got it slightly backwards. Uh, Obi does say who. Obi says science is about the how and the why. No, sorry, it's about the how and the what. Fiction is about the why. Fiction is about the why. Which, by the way, I think that's a freaking fantastic line. And as a uh, aspiring writer... I am keeping that, stealing it, and using it in everything. Uh, you can't because I've already stolen it. <laughs> like I said, I I had so much, so many thoughts coming out of this Thursday night that as a writer, that I was just pinging off all over the place. Um, this idea, that, you know, all everything, the authorship and and writing and and, yeah. and predeterminism free will plotting pantsing all of this stuff entropy cycles brain exploding (laughs) Um, so what 
yeah my thing is like like i and, and i thought that was great that obi the uh the science fiction writer who is also a astro theoretical <laughs> physicist I, I mean i thought that was great <laughs> so when loki figures out that it's not actually the why it's not what or who or what or how but it's actually who i thought that was a good start i thought he figured it all out too quickly and i thought that that should have been an episode two learning point and not episode five it could have been we'll see so far i'm really happy with um where we're at in the structure okay um so far we got one episode to go. Um, <laughs> I think that's my issue. There are so many threads to close up in one episode. It's not going to get closed. Well, then not all of them because we. this is part of the macro MCU story, the multiverse saga. So we're going to go forward. But we actually know, I think, a great deal about where we're going mm-hmm. um, because this is this – is, there's so many fascinating threads. I think what's happening here – is I think we're going to get a Loki season three. I think it is going to be a nice three act structure, act one, act two, closing the loop, act three, breaking the loop, break, which is the macro MCU multiverse saga, which we've already seen. Sylvie's already done. She broke the time stream. But actually what we see now is that this is just breaking. It is a necessary part of building it. Right which is all of this stuff together. And so Kang, Victor, he who remains has engineered this, it appears, which is to say Loki engineered it, which is to say the variant Loki is an engineered part. So this is such a, this is, you and I have talked, we talked about our, um, uh, uh, people listening to this haven't heard it yet, but we talked about my forthcoming book, Black Market Heart about the character of the interdictor and how basic I'm not going to talk about that, but basically in an, how the system makes him the cop. It bends him into becoming its enforcer because he's the most powerful man in the world. He should just be able to bust the system. We know from season one in Loki that the TVA is is antagonized, threatened by Lokis to the point where they go around, it seems like selectively pruning them that's where sylvie comes from why is that it's because he who remains the tva are bending the power of loki to them they're harnessing that power they're corrupting it for themselves and so loki the trickster the mischief guy the guy who's going to create chaos he who remains tells sylvie this was always going to happen this was always going no matter what you do it was always so Sylvie was Sylvie or some manifestation of Sylvie was always going to kill he who remains and break the cycle. And then she's like that scene in the bar where she's like the bartender's like, it's your choice, Sylvie. No, it's not. It's not because this was all he he who remains, who is, I think, as I speculated last week in uh, episode, we're talking about episodes one through three, it, is, 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 is it not just Loki? Is it is Loki not and Sylvie not just manifestations of this entity who is who is he who remains? And given the real world practical realities of what's going on with Jonathan Majors, isn't that just what's happening? Isn't that just our out? That this unfortunate thing has happened with this actor who by virtue of the multiverse that we've already seen has infinite variants, 
that can take on infinite forms? Isn't that just what's happening? So is is so I think I think it's all fascinating. I I think Loki his place in Ragnarok, his behavior, his person, his you know, his need to want to always break out of these you know, my dad and my brother and you know, I just want to I just want to rule and then he meets Sylvie and he's like I I don't I want something new. I want friends. It's like I just I want friends. I want to be a person, but yet he's being bent back into the thing. And so is Sylvie because Sylvie sadly has this horrific experience which the dissolution of her reality um and then goes back to Loki to say, "Okay, okay, we got to save it because we got to have free will, but but by saving the system you're doing what?" Um so it's fascinating. I think it's fantastic and I think we're going to end season six with loki being the author of the tva which is to say that all along he was he who remains and as he who remains told sylvie we're just going to end up right back here later and they do because i think the person at the end of time will become loki yeah i i think that's pretty much what's being telegraphed along those lines one of the things in the variety article that they sort of threw out there that sent people into a tizzy this week was this the this idea that Marvel would somehow pivot to Doctor Doom, as opposed to Kang, given the troubles with Jonathan Majors. Um, this doesn't make sense on a narrative. Scale. I understand why. I understand in the comics there's reasons for this that maybe we can talk about, but in the narrative right now, that simply can't work for a number of reasons that I hope that Kevin Feige and those guys would just know right offhand. They have their they have their out, and that's Loki. And Loki makes all the sense in the world. He has the godlike power. He's either a manifestation of he who remains, or he can u- usurp that. And then Loki then becomes the big bad of the multiverse saga in a way which is actually very rewarding and fulfilling. Because if people know the Secret Wars comic books, both 2015 and 1985, but really 2015, which has to do with the multiverse and things like that, the role that Doctor Doom plays in that is really could be played by Loki and should be. We should not be introducing Doctor Doom at this stage right now to become to somehow supplant Kang and then spend our Doctor Doom money before introducing the Fantastic Four. Right. right. Uh, this is a larger macro problem with the MCU that maybe is worth talking about today too, if we get to it. That has to do with this article, which like, what's wrong with the MCU? There's one thing that would be wrong with the MCU is doing that with Doctor Doom. I don't. I. I don't think that they're going to do that. I think that that's a little bit. There. This article has some things in it which we're talking about, but I, I do think narratively Loki supplanting He Who Remains or just becoming He Who Remains. It, I think that works. I think that's going to work for where they're going in the, in the multiverse saga, which is eventually the reboot and the recycle of the MCU. Um, it would be a great coda for Loki as a character. Loki, Loki tells Thor in Infinity War that the sun will shine on us again, brother. I think that's where we're going. Is when we leave Thor and Loki, that's where we're going to leave them, and that'll be going back to the beginning. And maybe Loki authoring, rewriting some things, or maybe just rebooting them. I, I'm going to say we're going to get. Thinking ahead, several years, several movies. I, I'm thinking Loki's going to rewrite the MCU. Um, Basically, recast him. 
you know, Tom Hiddleston, gorgeous, uh, doesn't look a day over 20. I, he's 40 something. They're going to recast all these folks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we're going to go back to the beginning. And we we see that now. That That's what this is all about. And it's so well done. It's so well considered. This show is immaculately made. This show is immaculately made. It's everything that Secret Invasion and, and, and all, some of the other stuff we've complained about isn't. This show is. When you're applying attention, when you're applying focus, and when you have a writer's, you're room. Telling, a writer's room and you're telling stories about characters and you're not leaning on VFX that you didn't even spend the proper money and time on, the MCU is just fine. And so I'm, I'm not worried about that in the macro, the MCU, and the, the sort of these headache articles and these like, you know, oh my God, you know, um, articles don't do it. They're interesting because if, you know, and we've talked about them on the pod, but they're interesting because they, for what the insight they provide. But I, I think you know, in in the series, but maybe we can keep it to just the show right now. But I I I think yeah, episodes four and five, I thought they're just full of great moments, great performances. That that was a shock. Um, just to go back to episode four, when Victor Timely runs out onto the the gangway and he's like, I forget what he said, but it's like time to do something. It's like yeah, oh shit, time <laughs> to do like, something brave. Tied to do something brave, and then he's like, spaghettifies and everything. It's like, oh my god! Everybody in the room's like, this is not. And then you have the you have the uh, the the loom explodes, and then uh, and then in episode five, a, a, a creepy callback to Infinity War and the snap, which is the spaghettification of everybody. Mm-hmm. Possible preview of Secret Wars. Yikes! See, and and that's the thing. That's like I I get the narrative reasons for it, but it did remind me of infinity war and the snap of just everything dissolving instead of ash. It was spaghetti. And I don't know. It just felt like a weird place to do that because at the end of the day, we're still looking at a Disney plus TV show and not a movie. Well, this is in the quandary now. Maybe this is where we're probably going to start talking about the article a little bit or just this whole discourse, maybe around the MCU. It's like, this article in Variety also discusses the Marvels, and I mentioned on the pod several episodes ago that Marvel's box office projections are not great. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason is I attribute that to the fact that the, the branding on this movie is wrong. Uh, it's the Marvels. It's not Captain Marvel. There's several things going on with this movie and the marketing that are poor, foremost among them. this The actors are still on strike, so pay your actors so so Brie Larson and everybody can go out and promote their movie. They're not They're able to do striking. that. They're still striking. Oh. They're not going to be able to promote this movie. So the movie opens a week from, it will be open this time next week. They're not going to be able to give this movie any kind of lift. The strike would have to end today. Um, that's one reason. One is the branding. It's not Captain Marvel 2. It is leaning on characters, and I've seen this now in, in some of the discourse online, uh, which echoes my sentiments, which is that they don't know who these people are. Mm-hmm. And something you've been saying for a while is that this is homework. So who is Kamala Khan? Who is Monica? The general audience who saw, a lot of people saw Captain Marvel, made a billion dollars at the box office, one of the highest grossing movies of all time. They don't know that Monica is Maria's daughter. Because they right. haven't seen WandaVision. They haven't seen... Uh, maybe that was it for Monica. 
Yeah, that um, was her only appearance. Like okay. when they last saw Monica, she was a child. Yeah, so they haven't seen WandaVision, although WandaVision probably and Loki the most popular of the Disney Plus shows, and they haven't seen Miss Marvel. So the the decision to somewhere and I'm not saying this is a story problem. I have I there's no problem at Monica and Carol's character arcs and their the, what they have to work out between them is important and needs to happen because it, there's a lot of a lot has happened in the 30 years between Captain Marvel and the Marvels. But the the general audience looking at this movie, they, one they don't know what the movie's about for reasons we talked about last week. Mm-hmm. They don't know who these people are, and they actually don't know what this is because oh, is that Carol? Is that is that Captain Marvel? So you've seen now in just the last few days the the marketing has pivoted. It's like oh shit, you know Captain Marvel, Captain Marvel, the cat, uh, goose, goose. Nick Fury, you know, minimizing Monica and Kamala almost entirely, teasing the thing I talked about last week, which is that this movie is hiding a big giant secret. Mm-hmm. So now they've realized that, oh, God, we got So now we need to kind of get so maybe we need to not just goose the cat, but we need to goose people to go to the theater because so there's the thing I talked about them hiding last week is they've started to tease. What if they tease? Because so, I, I don't see any of the marketing, right? So what if they tease? Okay. So the most recent uh, commercial they were running the other day during Thursday Night Football was uh, some – there's – there's uh, if, if you've seen the trailers, there's like a there's like a, a barrier that Monica is investigating at some point in the trailers, like a okay. energy barrier. Okay. And then there's like a little very, very brief, very quick flash of like, oh, no, they're coming through kind of a thing. And then the, the hint is that something is coming through reality slash multiverse. I'll just, uh, I'll you know, if folks haven't heard it, I'll just reiterate very quickly that my, my sort of idea last week in episodes, Loki episodes one through three, that this would be, we ended that episode by speculating wildly about the Marvels. And I speculated that this has to do with the X-Men. Uh, I feel really good about my speculation. <laughs> so they started to do that because of the marketing. The problem is with this movie, with a lot of the recent MCU, and having written for like Screen Rant and written articles and, and been part of this ecosystem that has to do with, you know, I remember at, with Doctor Strange, I wrote like 20 articles about Doctor Strange like that weekend that it opened, you know, is that the the conversation about the MCU has shifted to what these movies are, the characters, the stories, the things we love to what is going to happen. How does this, how does X connect to Y? And then when you get things that don't appear to connect, the audience doesn't care because they've been conditioned not to care. And when you get frustrations, Jonathan Majors, COVID, SAG after strike, that disrupts the thing. Chadwick Boseman, the loss of Chadwick. These disruptors frustrate the overall plan, make it appear as though there's not one. But then also you have this tiered system now of the movies in Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus has a shit ton of subscribers around the world. We know from the ratings that people, not everybody, is watching all the Marvel stuff. And they're taking some Marvel stuff off because, one, they don't recognize the characters or they don't think it matters. So now we've gotten into a situation where if it doesn't matter, I will not see it, which is what happened with Ant-Man. 
Ant-Man front-loaded. Everybody ran out to see Ant-Man. Kang, this matters. Okay, I got that. This movie sucks. But I got my Kang out of it. I'm not going to repeat business this movie. The movie dies. Mm-hmm. Secret Invasion, not a good show. It doesn't connect anything when it should. We talked about We had a whole pot about that. Check that out, Secret Invasion. The Marvels outwardly does not appear to connect to anything. This article suggests some re- some stuff that I have not heard that is behind the scenes stuff that's interesting. Attempts to throw Nia DaCosta, the director, under the bus by saying that she left in the middle of post-production to go to London to make another movie. It's not unusual in Hollywood for you to be working on several things at the same time. Let's revisit one James Gunn who was... M- Doing the final edit on Guardians Volume 3 while he was promoting DC Universe shit for another company. Right. And building out what will be the future DCU. So let's chill out um, on that type of shit. So that was interesting. Um, She left the production. This movie I mentioned on one of our pods recently was originally in the schedule where Ant-Man was. They shifted. This movie was in the can a long time ago. Okay. She left in the summer. They, the movie shifted in the production cycle. They did do some reshoots. Evidently, there was some drama behind that. That I don't know. But I, I feel like I'm rambling, Sugar. What do you think about all this? No, no. Keep going because it's uh, it's it calls into a lot of questions about some of the things that you and I have kind of hinted about with the various articles and the business side of of it that you know obviously i don't know so like because one of the things that you had mentioned to me via chat was the impact of chadwick boseman's death on the entire yes. mcu but yes. from my point of view uh chadwick boseman's death while tragic has not really been a factor in the MCU. I mean, nobody in the property or in the in the discourse or in the articles, nobody is mentioning Wakanda forever at all. And that like I find that really strange because here is a guy from who survived Endgame, right? Who he came back from Thanos' snap. Ant Man wrote a book and he's highly praised. Spider-Man's there, and he's highly praised. But no one in any property remembers Black Panther. Like, he is completely ignored in all of the other ones. So there's a lot there. There's a lot to consider. I think this is one of the great, literally unspoken parts of all of this. Yeah. And the fact, the fact that it's unspoken is interesting to me. And I think there are several reasons for it. Uh, I'll lead off by saying that there, there, there was an anecdote in a book that just came out, which maybe we can talk about sometime on the pod. But basically, it was a behind the scenes of MCU stuff. And I forget the authors right now, but this book just recently came out. And there's an anecdote in the book uh, from the set of, it's either Infinity War or Endgame where Chadwick and Brie Larson and Tom Holland, who plays Spider-Man, are having a conversation, and Kevin is telling them that. So they're writing out Iron Man, Cap, Thor to some extent. They're transitioning their heroes. Mm -hmm. And Black Panther and Captain Marvel and Spider-Man 
are going to be the new heroes of the the sequence to follow and they're the, the, the they're going to be the three, new leader the new big the triumphant. new big 3 and the new big uh the part the the next the, the next avengers what happens um chadwick dies tragically unexpectedly there was no warning for this uh for marvel for anybody this destroys all of their plans for black panther and consequently the avengers brie larson this book goes on to suggest in in ways i sort of take issue with but again i'm i'm i the hate directed towards brie larson is psychopathic it's disgusting this book suggests that she has been rattled to it to a point to where she doesn't want to continue i feel like this is making a lot of logic leaps and it's based entirely off an interview she gave at one of the conventions that was her having a bad day in which she had just broken up with her partner and she mentioned she front loads the interview by saying this that she's broke that she's you can tell she's like you know she's like i i don't know what's going you know <laughs> I, I just broke up like all this stuff and then she Bree says something to the effect of when they're asking her about the future of Captain Marvel, she's like, I don't know what's going to happen, which I think is honest. And it's also part of her frustration in the moment. The book then takes that to mean that that Brie Larson is done playing Captain Marvel. I, I don't think that is the case. I could be wrong. Nothing that Brie Larson has ever said has ever, you know suggested that she's all she's ever talked about is how much she loves playing this character okay and the idea that brie larson would allow herself to be run out of town by a bunch of bros i have i take issue with tom oh, holland they're definitely gonna capitalize on that though we did it everyone which to me the reason that 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 anecdote in the book sort of rankled me is because i i thought we were sort of feeding the wrong animal there <laughs> I don't know why we're I don't know why we're giving them ammunition. Uh, Brie Larson cannot talk right now because of the strike. So I expect her when the strike is over and she does have a chance to promote this movie. I expect her to give her full faith and confidence in this role. I really do. I could mm -hmm. be wrong. I don't think she's going to come out and promote this movie and be like, yeah, I'm done. You won, bros. <laughs> I don't see it. Right. Tom Holland somewhat frustrated by the fact that the, he, he is belongs to another company, Sony, which in the midst of, uh, we forget now because it's a few years ago and it was resolved, but in the midst of this run-up to Infinity War Endgame in the post, um, Sony attempted to take their ball and, went and, and go home, and uh, they weren't going to cooperate with uh, Marvel Studios anymore. That was resolved, but why don't we have another Spider-Man movie yet? Part of part of this is is because um, there is very complicated COVID strike. John Watts, the director of the first three Spider-Man movies, the MCU Spider-Man movies, decided to leave to direct Fantastic Four. That he then left a movie that Fantastic Four, by the way, folks, has fallen. Years. This is another thing: the 20th Century Fox acquisition, the plans Fantastic Four X-Men. Another wrinkle in the whole thing we're not even talking about. And you're like, well, what does it matter? They're not coming out. They're not coming out for a reason. He's not longer doing that. Um, Sony wants John Watts back, and they're willing to wait for him. One reason we don't have another Spider-Man movie yet. Okay, so we're going to get more Spider-Man movies. There's no, 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 don't worry about it. But 
the MCU isn't, we don't have a Spider-Man movie and the MCU isn't using Spidey because they're, they're, <laughs> all of that is, is rankled and, and twisted up in nuts, but we're, we're gonna, we're gonna get it. There are so many factors that have, because of the scale of it, and then you have the scale up with Disney Plus, which was the studio mandate to, as they say in this article in Variety, to wallpaper Disney Plus with um, MCU to the point that there would never be a lapse between show and movie. So not only did you create homework that people just don't want to do, you exhausted them. You then made, because you exhausted yourself by making so much that you made bad product, and now you've turned people off. And you've also conditioned them to only care about things that matter. <laughs> so, right. and also, I don't know what this movie is. And no one knows so, what matters and what doesn't. So they're depending they don't. on someone else to say whether it matters. So they're reading articles in Variety and Hollywood Reporter and Deadline trying to find out what matters. And it creates the impression that Marvel doesn't know what's going on. Uh, clear from Loki, they know what's going on. But there are so many levels to it that because of it now, because of its size and scale, that not everything is on the same page. And so you have things that are really good and very clear. Very, I, you know, I don't, I'm not worried about this part of it, the multiverse Loki Kang of it. I'm worried about it in the sense of Jonathan Majors, but I think we know what's going to happen there, unfortunately. But it's the other stuff. It's how do we get back to everybody's like, how do we go back to Endgame? You can't go back to Endgame. You can't go back to that moment. You're never going to repeat that. But how do you go back to, in this idea that's floated in the Variety article of, can we just maybe bring back Robert Downey and Scarlett and Chris Evans and just go back to the original Avengers? Well, we're going to do that eventually when we reboot everything, but that's years away, and that won't be those actors. We're just, you know. See, for me, I, I don't know. I Maybe it's because I'm not a, a nostalgic person in general, but... I don't want to go back. I want to move forward. So we had yeah. Iron Man. We had Thor. We had Captain America. They did a fantastic job. They established the MCU. They carried it all the way for, what, 10 years? Something like that. Like yeah. 18 movies. Um, yeah. Endgame finished their story arc. No Way Home was the epilogue. Fantastic. Now, the next step in all of that, is not to reboot the thing like Loki and redo the cycle. It's to move forward. Where does the end of Endgame take us? Well, it takes us to Falcon and Winter Soldier, where you have refugees from the mm -hmm. blip, and now we're trying to figure out a world where we have scrolls that impersonated people who had blipped, and now they're back. So we have double identities, and now the scrolls are coming back. Like, that's where we move forward. It's not... It is. Oh, we, yeah. we, we're we moving forward in time, but we don't like it, so let's just reboot and redo the whole thing and, and let's go back to our original characters because lightning struck once, surely it will strike again in the same place. Well, I think there are there's a couple things there. I agree. I let's let's investigate our now and our characters and all the possibilities inherent in it. Like we've set up all these successors and to all of our characters, Hawkeye, Widow, Cap, even Black Panther. We need to go back to talk about Black Panther again, but real quick because uh, we didn't finish our thought there. Uh, we have a successor in Shuri who again, 
not part of the conversation at all. Which is bizarre um, to me. Yep. So I, I hold that thought because I'm going to come back to it. But there's practical realities and there's story realities to this reboot. The practical reality is is that they they cost and age. So our actors, because the MCU has gone on so long, that you know they're going to eventually, you know, the, these actors will age out at some point. And so we've already had that happen. Um, and then they price out because they're so expensive. So Robert Downey Jr. It's too expensive. Not too expensive if they're going to throw a Hail Mary and try to save the MCU. He, We will see him again. We will see Chris Evans. We will see Scarlett again. But it won't be in this what this article is talking about. I, I've said before on the pod, and, and other people have said, because we all know what's going to happen. Secret Wars, you're going to see everybody ever that's ever been in any Marvel movie ever. Like the Spider-Verse had every Spider-Man you ever had. Mm-hmm. You will see them in Secret Wars. Hugh Jackman, Has Patrick Stewart. Yeah, you. We're gonna see everybody because it's gonna be the ultimate multiverse thing. Just forget about it. Just don't even worry. It's gonna happen. You're gonna see everybody ever. Um. So the reboot then that that's the practical reality of replacing actors and starting over. The story part is I think the reason for this is because of the Fox acquisition, the X Men and Fantastic Four. So the reason to do the reboot is. Instead of integrating the reason we're not seeing the X-Men and Fantastic Four right now outside of some twisty cameos, multiverse, is because what Kevin Feige, I think, wants to do is he wants to do the MCU proper, which is to have a wholly integrated, all the characters, Avengers, Fantastic Four, X-Men, from the beginning and do that story. And the reason he didn't rush out, which he could have done, and some people have argued he should have done, which is just rush that X-Men movie out, rush the Fantastic Four out, is because outside of these cameos, Jonathan Krasinski, Patrick, Hugh Jackman here in a, in a minute, is he wants to do it right from the beginning, which is to tell the Marvel Universe like the way that the comics did. Spidey, Fantastic, and it, and it leads to a natural progress. That's, I think, I think, no one knows this, I think that's what's happening, and I understand it. Because it, and it'll be new and it'll have the business the business side of it is we're starting over and it's new and you can jump on to this homework shit you're talking about this work shit you're talking about that goes away because now we're starting over flush tabula rasa those those are, I think are the big reasons why all of this is sort of shaping up the way it is and by the time we get to that point secret wars especially with the strikes it'll be 27 it'll be 28 and it'll have been 20 years from Iron Man one. And that makes sense for us to be recycling at that point. But to your point, that should not come at the expense of telling the stories right now, which is, Cap, we're going to get a Cap movie next year, maybe, um, with strikes, everything, pay your actors. We're going to get all of that stuff, you know. We're going to get some more stories, hopefully, with you in the Thunderbolts with Elena. We're going to get these stories, but this article and some of the discourse suggests that we're going to we're going to forego all of this to get back to status quo. I don't think that's good. Um, and these these articles suggest real sort of uncertainty about the direction and the, what the, what people want from the MCU. I think what people want from the MCU is stories. They want characters they love. And the Variety article also mentioned something that the the Marvels they screen the Marvels for a general audience in June or July. Yeah. Which they typically they typically don't do. They they typically only do it in house. Um, that suggests a couple things. It suggests that they've lost the temperature internally for where they're at with their audience. 
and the fact that the Marvels evidently, according to the article, didn't play with this audience, it set off alarm bells um, with with them because they also thought they had a great movie in Ant Man. So that's all concerning, but I guess for me going forward, what I would want to see with the MCU is okay. Well, put it like this: our podcast is right now, as of this point. Uh, as of this recording, we have something like 137 episodes. Yay. Great. <laughs> and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Uh, when people ask me about it, when I talk about the podcast, I no longer say start at the beginning. I don't recommend it. I don't recommend any particular episode or anything like that. I say, look, we have a large catalog go through find something that is of interest that seems like you're you're into it give us a listen that'll get that'll send you down a rabbit hole of other episodes to listen to and just talking about this the other day yeah yeah and honestly uh the people that i've talked to they are into it they are loving the episodes that they're listening to do they have to listen to every one of them no do they have to listen to every one of them in order Definitely not. Post Endgame, I would love the MCU to forego the idea of homework and what matters and say, this is the MCU, the universe of it. Pick your onboarding point because that was always Marvel's secret to success. They always, as a comic, every comic, every issue could have been the reader's onboarding point. And it didn't matter whether you start from the beginning or in the middle of it. You always were eased in. So I would love to see the MCU do that. They're a victim of their own success. The comics function that way. They have from the beginning. It's not necessary for you to read all of the comics. Not that you could. <laughs> um, the MCU is built differently. And it's also... Um, I think it appears Marvel Studios thought, not wrongly, that the audience would the so the the expansive MCU with Disney Plus would would approach it the way people do the comics, which is that you know we're just going to consume you know, all this stuff. the The problem with that is is that they're different audiences, and that plays into what matters. So the comic book audience is diverse. It likes different flavors of different things and not everything has to connect. They try to connect everything that has diminishing results. And, and, and really the, the comics that we end up talking about are, are ones that generally are a single story, uh, you know, a closed unit that kind of self-contained, I should say. Um, this comes, you know, this plays into everything. I was just talking about the black market heart. I mentioned earlier, great jumping on point for Eververse. It's book four. There's some onboarding in that book. Uh, in terms of helping people in, that's probably not going to happen in, in subsequent books because at that point, book five, six, you're, you're probably in or you're out, right? But that's a different animal because that that's a closed story eventually. Uh, it's a nine-book series. The Marvel is never going to end. It's never going to end. That's part of the meta funniness, macroness of the of the sacred timeline and the in the multiverse and the, and the Ouroboros is that it's never going to end because... Mm-hmm. It's a cash cow. So 
the fact that they're even attempting to tell complete stories within the MCU is part of its genius. So the Infinity Saga, the first 10 years or so, ending with Endgame, is a closed story. The problem here also then, Sugu, we get into is psychology. So what people, the original trilogy, Star Wars, that, that's, that's Star Wars. Everything after is after. It's addition. It's subtraction. It's not important. It doesn't matter. Right? In this conversation, unfortunately for the MCU, Endgame is that demarcation point. Mm-hmm. So that that's the thing, and now that and that's what everybody thinks about. That was guys forgetting, <laughs> forgetting. And now let's go back to Black Panther, forgetting things like we've had subsequent to Endgame, some of the greatest MCU ever, and that includes WandaVision, Loki, No Way Home, fifth, fourth highest grossing movie of all time, Wakanda Forever, a movie that was really good made a shit ton of money that is this weird black hole in everybody's thinking when it comes to the discourse. Every time it's, oh, the MCU is dead, the MCU is broke, and woke, broke, blah, 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 forgetting that this movie came out a year ago, I think this week, made somewhere around $800 million at the box office, but nobody talks about it. And I think they don't talk, why don't they talk about it? They don't talk about it because the, that movie, for all of its quality, and everything we t- we had a pod about that as well. Please check that out. And we talked about that movie in depth. For the risk, the creative risks, and and everything that Ryan Coogler did, and, and that cast and crew did, that movie, MCU. In in the MCU sense, punted. It punted on Shuri, and it punted on Prince T'Challa, who is T'Challa, King T'Challa's successor. So people, the MCU audience, what matters? That movie didn't matter. Because it's transitional, right? But it absolutely should have mattered. And it does. But they were like, so Shuri actually isn't Black Panther. Because our Black Panther is going to be Prince T'Challa. Looking ahead now, right? And that's going to be later. And also the movie's kind of sad. It's very heavy. It's it's atypical for the MCU. So it's not a movie. It's not a roller coaster movie you're going to go back to a lot, even though it, it's a really good movie and it bears rewatching. And there's a lot of great stuff in it. Namor, et cetera. We talked about it. Um, it's a black hole because Marvel has not announced their plans for Black Panther three. We have no sense of Panther Shuri Prince T'Challa's trajectory in the MCU. I think a lot of people the the who are doing the same thing we're doing, which is articles, discourse. What does it all mean? Rightly assume that Prince T'Challa will become King T'Challa by virtue of the multiverse saga. He's either going to be aged up through some timey-wimey bullshit, or we're just going to get a variant out of the multiverse, or we're going to recast, right? As we've just been talking about with Iron Man and Cap and everybody like that. That movie just, boom, fell down a crack. And it's like, and so that has the consequence of a couple things. It is one of the most important, if not the most important movie post-Endgame for Marvel. Not a factor. It's a huge marker. And there's everybody's like, all of a sudden, they're like, you know, the MCU isn't making any money. The only <laughs> the only movie post-Endgame that hasn't made money is Ant-Man. That's the only one. And it was a, it's a box office failure. It, it, it just died. It was a, not a good movie. Black Panther is a huge success. Hugely important movie for Marvel in the macro, but because it didn't connect to the multiverse, 
because it punted on Black Panther, on the, the, the legacy of Black Panther, in terms of who is going to be Black Panther, it fell down this crack. And then it doesn't come into this conversation at all. And that's as much a discourse problem as it is a Marvel problem, because they should we should be talking about what's next. Mm-hmm. And then Kevin Feige should or somebody should be out there saying, you know, we're we're so excited about Shuri. We're so, you know, Letitia Wright, we're looking forward to her appearing in Name a Movie. But when they talk about Avenger the next two Avengers movies, Avengers King Dynasty and Avengers Secret Wars, they talk a lot about a lot of people. Shang-Chi, Carol, uh, Cap, uh, on and on, Loki, on and on. Guess who they never talk about? Shuri. Shuri. I always assumed that they were just uh, capitulating to the racists and the sexists. No, I, I don't think that's it, because they wouldn't have made that movie. They, they, they wouldn't do any of that. And, you know, they this is the same thing with the Marvels. It's like if they, they were capitulating, they would not have made this, this movie. Like, is there, as someone said to me, is, are there any guys in the Marvels? There are. Nick Fury, you saw the trailer. What they meant was, are there any white guys? I don't think so. It doesn't appear to be, at least in the trailers and the marketing, there doesn't appear to be. So I guess you're, you know, but being a white guy who's going to go watch this movie, there's plenty for me to see in the movie. That shouldn't be a, a problem for you. But no, I don't think that's that they're not capitulating on any of that. Um, I don't know why the message I know in the discourse for the reasons I just laid out. I think that explains what's going on with Black Panther discourse amongst MCU heads. The messaging from Marvel. I don't know. I think I would want to be. Well, I know, you know that you taught, Letitia Wright mm-hmm. herself has come under some criticism that when I looked into it in more detail, it got blown heavily out of proportion, but she has come under fire for, uh, for some of the stuff she has said and done. It's important to note also that Letitia Wright was injured on the set of Wakanda forever, which necessitated the, the movie stopped filming for a while. Mm-hmm. People forget this because we forget a lot in all of this stuff. And there's a lot to think about and consider and to remember in all of this. And no, no one's keeping score. That's the other thing, too, to say real quick. But she was injured on set. I wouldn't be surprised if behind the scenes there is some issues with her continuing that, ha- that are coming from her. Okay. You know, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be surprised. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to get I'm injured not... again on set, so stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, and, and also there's some hostility that she probably... In, thinks that was coming from Marvel in regards to the thing you're talking about, with has, which has to do with COVID and vaccines. And she may be thinking in the back of her mind, or she may have voiced to them. I don't know. This is all speculation. So I just want to make sure that none of this is reported, with the exception of the COVID stuff. She may be like, I don't, I don't want to do it. What would be the incentive for me to do it again? Which goes back to Jonathan Major's completely separate problem. Don't want to conflate them. But goes back to the problem of what do we do? Mm-hmm. What do we do, with Marvel? Do we just recast Shuri? Why? Why didn't we just recast T'Challa? As I said before the movie, I think Ryan Coogler made a really good movie. He daring, bold, creative risk in making that movie the way that it was. But 
considering everything that's going on, it was not maybe the more sensible thing to do to simply recast the role to preserve the character and preserve your story. I don't know because it appears it appears that the MCU is unable to translate the story that Ryan Coogler advanced through Wakanda Forever to the greater thing. Because whether that has to do with Letitia Wright, question mark, or just the way that that story landed, which is here's Prince T'Challa. Come check us out later because this is all actually Shuri, just a, a placeholder. I actually thought it, and I might have mentioned on the pod, I forget. I actually thought it undercut her. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know. I, I agree. Because I, when she became the Panther, I thought, oh, this is going to be really cool. We have a Black Panther who is Shuri now. And she's just going to take on everything that was supposed to be Chadwick Boseman's, you know, all of what was planned for him has now just been transferred over to Shuri. I thought, okay, cool. I'll, that sounds interesting. But then you're right. They punted that to Prince T'Challa and it just it, caused everything to fall flat. It just felt the mood, what it felt like once you got away from it and in the macro sense, I'm not talking about the movie, although I do think it undercut her to, to do this. It makes sense narratively why they did because because of Shuri's arc, which from the hopelessness and grief and anger, and then there's hope, you know, there's there's a future. Mm-hmm. That all makes sense. That all makes sense. But what it did in the in this for her as her character going forward in the MCU is basically to to to, to knock her legs out from under and saying that you know like actually, <laughs> yeah, you don't have to you, worry you know. about Shuri because it's really yeah. going to be someone else, which. Then if if this stuff about Letitia Wright is true, if if she's feels in any way like she's not secure in the role because of things that have happened on set or, you know, all of it, then she's like, well, I don't I'm, I'm, my position is insecure <laughs> because they've already replaced me because they, they've already signaled to the audience that I'm just I'm just temporary and a placeholder. And the audience and the audience just, I think, just reflects that in the discourse and the fact that there's nothing to talk about because that didn't really that movie, with the exception of Namor and the death of uh, Angela Bassett, doesn't matter because we're gonna get T'Challa and actually we're gonna reboot anyway. Multiverse variants, none of that didn't matter, and so yeah, I, I, I that we probably will see Shuri again. I would hope so. Um, I was going to say, just to reiterate my point from Ant-Man as like proof of why Ant-Man was not a good movie, uh, Quantumania, is at the very end, it said Kang will return. It didn't yeah. say the title characters will return. It said Kang. Yeah. So obviously the message there is that the movie itself didn't even care about the title characters. Okay. So coming back to Black Panther, I can't remember, but I feel feel like it said Shuri will return. It didn't. Oh, it, it didn't. What okay. the, it did not. What the movie did was set up her successors. It set up it set up Prince T'Challa and it set up Riri Williams as Ironheart. Right. And basically saying that she's just she's just a I I just I like I said, I I thought what Ryan Coogler did in his decision to make the movie the way he did was bold. 
is daring, is it hats off, hats off, because I would have taken the easy way out and recast it. What I would not have done, certainly, and what I do think was a mistake, I think, was to it, to basically supplant Shuri in her own story. Mm-hmm. Riri Williams in that story, Ironheart, very interesting character um, in the comics, and, and it was an interesting character in the movie. Um, I don't didn't quite work in the movie for me and didn't make sense. And it was, I don't know, you know, it, it was basically, it's like, here's the new, it almost at times when she's building the suit, it almost at times felt like, you know, like here's, here's Ironheart. Like here's the new hero. Our focus needed to be on Shuri and it mostly was, but I, I don't, I don't think in, re, in retrospect, I don't think that those things necessarily worked. I think the fact that there's no conversation in the discourse and then also no conversation coming out of Marvel when Marvel announced Secret Wars and Kang Dynasty and everybody got excited about like, okay, here we're going. Now we have direction and multiverse. You know what wasn't on that title card? Black Panther 3. Yeah. I know that Ryan Coogler wants to do one and he expects to do one because he was talking about that during Wakanda forever. So I don't know. There, there could be behind the scenes things. I just find it odd. The whole thing is the whole thing is very complicated. It's it's you know we shouldn't expect that there wouldn't be problems. The fact that it's generating so much conversation that we're talking about it so much on the pod, I think, is reflective of a, of a couple things. One is people are super interested in this. Uh, these are stories and characters that we're really into and that we really care about. So we're uh, so we're concerned that you know we're having that there's trouble in Title Town. We're also concerned because there's intersections here and a lot of different things. And we've kind of alluded to it or we've directly referenced it at various points. But, you know, this article mentions a couple, the Variety article mentions a couple things. Nia DaCosta goes to London, throws her underneath the bus. Well, she went to make a different movie. This is a movie Marvels that was already done. Um, by the way, the time frame for her going to London to make another movie is, it occurs at the same time that they had held this screening for the test audience but the movie was done guys right. article variety writers it references the blade movie with uh, mahershala ali which is just in development hell this isn't unusual in hollywood to to try to get a movie off the ground and it takes forever this particular thing frustrated and then you know uh, the thing with jonathan majors what do these things have in common these are all people of color <laughs> marvels women women of color, all of these things. And so I, when you said a few moments ago, you know, are they capitulating to the bros? And I push back on that because I don't think that w- that's what's happening. That's what's happening in this article is that we're, the re- the, we're laying a little bit at the feet. The problem with the, with these, the thing in the MCU is, yeah. is, you know, they don't mention, they don't mention the development problems with Ant-Man. Yep. With Peyton I picked Reed. up on that as well in that article. I was like, mm. what? Why didn't we mention the fact that Peyton Reed turned in an absolute turkey? Right? Why didn't we mention that the folks behind Secret Invasion, Brad Winterbaum, turned in Kirk Brad, Brad I forget his name. I apologize. Turned in an absolute turkey. That didn't. That didn't have anything to do with it. Peyton Reed shit the bed so bad that Bob Iger. Bob Iger was like, "There's not going to be any more anime movies." <laughs> like but that didn't that doesn't merit mention in the article also that's what that means I, when they said kang will return at the end of quantum like they've decided no, no more 
No, it, it's it's funny, but no, wait. What happened is that so Ant Man, you know, Ant Man didn't do well at the box office, and Bob Iger gave an interview after, and he's like, I don't know why we're making more Ant Man movies. So like, I don't know why we made that movie. Not gonna be any more Ant Man movies, and there's not gonna, you know, we'll see Ant Man and the Wasp again, but no more Ant Man movies. Peyton Reed probably not gonna be making another movie for Marvel. Uh, Nia DaCosta, probably not making another movie for Marvel, the way that some of this messaging is going. That's how it's been from the beginning. You know, uh, the directors come and go, writers come and go in the MCU. But I, I find that, the I've, and people have commented on Twitter, of X, whatever, um, the, the fact that this article feels pointed. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's coming from the MCU. I don't. I don't think it's coming from Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige staked his reputation and his money on diversity and things like that. And they're not going to retreat from that. I think as in every other thing we've just been talking about, they are beset by numerous challenges. And one of those challenges is creative stuff. And they, they need to get back on top of that. I, you know, I kind of think the thing with Nia DaCosta leaving in the middle of post-production on a movie that was screened for test audiences, uh, kind of a power move actually, because if she left for the reasons that let's say she, no, I won't speculate on that. But like, let's say she actually left and there was work to do. You know, she was. You know, if she was like, you know, I th- I feel like you guys got this. It's kind of a power move. Mm-hmm. You know, because there have been complaints. Uh, there have been calls from inside the house on the MCU about some of the post production difficulties. Which, oh, that's right, we've talked about that also when it comes to them fixing it in post. So. Right. There's a lot of intersections to it. There's a lot of all of it, you know. <laughs> any any more thoughts on that, or maybe final thoughts? Uh, final thought is we will see what episode six of Loki has to say on all of this. Oh yeah, we started off talking about Loki. Um, <laughs> I'll just, I'll just kind of, yeah, final thought, I'll just kind of uh, land back on, uh, I, I, I did come out of uh, episode five, just I did really ping in with thoughts about like this idea of authorship. I was really fascinated by the idea. I really enjoyed it. I, I just really enjoyed it. Loki is very good. Um, I think we're going to get episode six uh, early predictions. I think we're going to get some really big surprises. I think we have a great sense of where it's going, but I think we're going to get some surprises. And... Um, that that you know i i think i think loki is basically going to become our going to take the place of he who remains what that means for sylvie though i'm worried i'm worried about sylvie um oh real quick uh final thought everybody's keying in on loki and sylvie i thought it was i thought it was interesting that when he goes to visit loki goes to visit mobius in the real time in the the timeline that he came from uh michigan ohio uh with the jets ohio with the jet skis uh before loki goes to uh um goes to introduce himself to mobius he takes a moment to kind of do his hair and yeah do his jacket and spruce up a little bit for he he was a lot more nervous around mobius than he was around kc or hunter b15 so yeah yeah, maybe 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 want to make sure he looked right for the man who's captured his heart. Maybe question mark. <laughs>
That'll do it for today, folks. Thanks again for joining us. Once again, I'm Darby Harn, and you can find more information about me and my books at my website, darbyharn.com. I'm also on Twitter at Darby Harn. Sugu, how can they find out more about us in the podcast? You can follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach us at our email address, shelfwarmers at gmail.com. Send us feedback about the show, your thoughts, opinions, recommendations, and insights on our perspectives. We're always happy to hear from you, our audience, and we'd love to share your opinions on our next show. Again, that's shelfwarmers at gmail.com. And if email isn't your thing, we're also on Twitter. You can reach us at shelfwarmers. Give us a holler. We have new episodes every Friday. As always, remember to stay safe, wash your hands, practice social distancing, and get vaccinated when you can. Stick around to listen to a free clip of more content from us. Subscribe today and you can hear the rest of the following and more. Bye-bye. <laughs>